Beyond the Fence Line, a podcast brought to you by the Texas Agricultural Land Trust. Created by landowners for landowners, we're proud to play a role in conserving the Texas legacy of wide open spaces. Hi, I'm Sandra Velarde, and I lead our fundraising efforts here at TALT. Gifts that are given to TALT stay right here in Texas, protecting open space that will be here for generations to come. Giving to TALT means investing in communities, clean water, and clean air that benefit us all. Please consider a small recurring donation today and be part of that movement that is keeping Texas big, wide, and open. Visit our website to learn more at www.txaglandtrust.org support. Well, welcome back to Beyond the Fence Line. Um, you know, this, this episode is going to be, is very special to me. have a, a good old dear friend and, and past colleague of mine with us, uh, Mr. Billy Tarrant. Uh, he's the Associate Director of Stewardship Services at the Borderland Research Institute there at Sol Ross State University in Alpine. And uh, really appreciate Billy joining us and uh, just to, to sit here and, you know, chat a little bit and give us a little bit more insight of BRI and all their engagements with the West Texas and, and especially to our, our landowner and our private land stewards uh, across West Texas and, and really discuss a, a variety of wildlife research projects as well as some of those uh, efforts that are just kind of wrapping up on a multi-year project of Respect Big Bend and uh, really looking forward to it. And uh, Billy, appreciate you joining us. Thanks for having me, Chad. My pleasure. Well, I just want to remind you that, you know, we are recording and you and I go way, way back. So um, don't don't throw either one of us under the bus. <laughs> well said. I will not. I'll do my best. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so for you guys, I mean, I, I've known Billy for uh, since the late 90s when I worked for Parks and Wildlife, kind of multiple temp jobs and and. Uh, working with Billy and then, you know, Billy and I really worked, you know, really closely together, uh, 15 something, you know, I, I lose track of time, Billy. 15, yeah, same here. 15 years or so when I used to uh, still work for Natural Resource Conservation Service and was um, kind of leading the team out there in far West Texas in the Tri-County area. And uh, Billy was a uh, kind of running Texas Parks and Wildlife at, at the same time. And so uh, really, you know, it's great to catch up and, and hear kind of where you are today and all the great work there at Sol Ross and the Borderland Research Institute. So, you know, Billy, why don't we just kind of get started and you kind of maybe give us a, an overview of um, BRI and, you know, what is it? And really, I think, you know, why was it created? What's, what's the mission of BRI? Sure, Chad. I, uh, I'm going to back up just a second. You just made me realize something. I think reason we probably hit it off so well is <laughs> I was a, uh, that was your first gig, I think, as a supervisor, as a, as, a, as a DC out here. And that was, I had just gotten the job as the district leader for the Trans-Pecos. So we were both right. trying to get a sip off a of fire hose, you know, uh, as in our new positions. But uh, anyway, yeah, so uh, BRI was, um, it's basically born out of the, uh, you know, natural resource range and animal science uh, program here at uh, Sol Ross State University. Um, was established in 2007. 
um, kind of kind of along the lines of taking the the lead from um, Caesar Clayburn uh, Institute. You know, just the the idea that you can have a natural resource program, a wildlife management program at a uni university, and provide a lot more resources and capacity by having a uh, an associated institute that's able to bring in more funding opportunities for research and partners. And uh, I've got to give credit, obviously, to, to Dr. Lewis Harbison, who's a dear friend of both of ours for, for many years. And he had really done such a great job here building this wildlife program, this natural resource program at, at Saul Ross. That this was a natural evolution. And the uh, the mission's pretty simple. It's just, just to help conserve natural resources of the Chihuahuan Desert through research, education, and outreach. And I think the... Um, you always have the primary focus on on, on, a, on an outfit like this is, you know, utilizing good science to, to make good management decisions, you know, and that's working with any of the managers we have out here, whether it's uh, federal, state, you know, the national parks and WMAs, wildlife management areas and, and state parks, or whether it's the private landowner uh, constituency that we have. and those partners that uh, make decisions on millions of acres of the Trans-Pecos. So anyway, that's kind of it in a nutshell. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, you know, I remember, you know, I was telling uh, Lewis, Dr. Harvison this the other day when we were visiting that, you know, I was, I, I was a senior, I was about to graduate when uh, Dr. Harvison came in. And so he didn't have grad students, he didn't have uh, anyone. And so I kind of taught his labs at first semester he was there and you know, that's kind of when we you know really you know hit it off and and uh, kind of started our relationship and I was telling him you know he had this little office kind of like in a closet if you remember that <laughs> and uh, and you, you had to kind of just you know skinny up to get in there and, and uh, you know I remember sitting there one day you know asking him trying to figure out where in the world was you know Chad gonna go and what did you know what was that you know, what it, where did, or, you know, what did 10 years from now, 15 years from like that? And I remember asking him that same question. And, you know, his first one was like, you know, Caesar Clayburgh, you know, and he kept, you know, he was just very passionate and he understood that model. And it's been, it's been really awesome to see from the outside him take that passion and put it there in far West Texas, which is such unique, uh, great, great landowners, great, you know, great, just great country, right? And um, it, it's it's been really great to see, and it's great to see you move over there as well. And and you know, I think that's a question I have for you. You know, Billy, I mean, you're, you've been at BRI for a few years now, and you've made this transition to BRI, as you mentioned a little earlier, from Texas Parks and Wildlife, right? As you're sort of that highest ranked leader out you know, in, far, in West Texas. And, uh, you know, why did you make that jump moving from a position you had to BRI? You know, I had a, I had a great job. Uh, there's no doubt about it. I had a great career with Parks and Wildlife as a, as a field biologist over several, several parts of the state. Most of all of it, most of it was out here in the Trans-Pecos. And then, uh, like, like we said a while ago, became district leader over all the, the biologists that worked the counties out here. Um, and then, and then this, the regional director position came available, and I, I put in and got that. I was fortunate enough to get that position, which then I was, you know, there's four wildlife regions in the state, in the wildlife 
uh, division of Texas Parks and Wildlife, and I had the further most west one. Basically, all the Panhandle, Lower Plains, Permian Basin, and the Trans-Pecos. And uh, great job, great crew. A lot of a lot of all you know all the wildlife management areas, all the the, the staff. You know, I had over 40 staff uh, that worked for me, and and just uh, it was a great job. It was very very busy. I I. Uh, I worked really hard, was on the road a lot. And obviously I'm, I'm an old guy with young kids and that wasn't the funnest thing, but um, I think you can relate. The, but anyway, they, yeah. I relate. They, um, what's that? I relate to, to, to where you were. Oh man, it's, you know, and that's just part of it, you know? And so, but, you know, really I, I, I'm, I'm gonna, I'll just say this, you know, the job, you know, at whatever position I've ever had, I've always tried to figure out my strong points and weak points. And I think that's important for growth. And, and I remember I was sharing with my fellow regional directors privately that this opportunity had come up to, to move to BRI and I was probably going to take it. And I told them, I said, uh, you know, this may come as a shock to you guys. I said, but I, I'm not the best at the administration part of this, you know. <laughs> As a joke, and they of course said, "Yeah, never knew that." You know, wow, yeah, sure. And uh, and I, I recognize that, you know, the minutia of policy and purchasing and all the stuff and the bureaucracy that goes on with any large agency um, was tough. It was not my strong suit, and it was something that I had to work at. So I, I think I did okay in that realm, but it wasn't natural for me. And what really has been natural for me is, is building conservation partnerships, working with private landowners, and then building conservation partnerships. And, you know, I've done that several times in my career as we, we've started the Trans-Pecos Pronghorn Working Group and gone through all the restoration work that still goes on to this day with that group. And then obviously with the Playa Lakes Joint Venture sitting on their management board and sharing their board, which is all about those joint ventures are all about partnerships. And, and this was just a, 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 a opportunity I couldn't pass up, you know, to, to as, as everybody out here watches this uh, energy development take place not far from you know some of our most uh, pristine you know uh, areas of the Trans-Pecos how how are we going to balance that right and so that was if we're going to have energy development and economic opportunity be economic opportunity but we want to we want to continue to have these great landscapes and wildlife populations and that we have out here uh, how do we balance that and make it happen so it's a bit it's a big challenge, but I, I couldn't pass it up. I had to take the, the, the chance to do it. So, yeah, I think it's, it was perfect for you, right? It was a, it was a hand in glove kind of, I think, situation. I mean, one thing, you know, I've learned and, and probably, you know, learned from you on this is, a, is the value of relationships, right? And, you know, we're in the conservation world, but really we're in the relationship business. And yep. You, you've taken that to heart and I you know I sit there and think of this stewardship service program and, and you know it's about relationships and, and the way you you know take that challenge on of you know working with those individual landowners and you know all the way up from energy companies and back and forth you know I, I think is is pretty amazing and, and a good good fit for you you know can you tell us a little bit more about the stewardship service program and you know how does it you know, how does it really impact and help the landowners out in West Texas? Well, it's it's something that had been on Lewis's mind for a long time, and he, you know, he 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 had some uh, of his staff work with private landowners when they needed some assistance, 
and uh, but it was but never really formalized until I came on board. And and to be honest with you, Chad, you know very well that you know Respect Big Ben has been taking a huge chunk of of uh, my time and and has been rightfully so but it has also been the catalyst to help stand up stewardship services and so to to me you know it's it's a it's a portion of BRI utilizing that same research and science that I talked about a while ago that's that we have here that good that good information and working with private landowners to help them meet their conservation goals and at the same time not not um, in lieu of the other opportunities that are out there with, with partners like, you know, the NRCS or Texas Parks and Wildlife Department, these, these, you know, these folks already work with a lot of those, those conservation partners, um, and others. And so, but we want to provide value. We want to be able to build, uh, and you, you mentioned a while ago relationships and so much of that's based on trust. And sometimes trust doesn't happen overnight. It takes takes years to get that kind of type of trust that you know that we we want to work with a landowner to help them further their management goals and and that may be you know in the future obviously we've got some opportunities in front of us for you know helping them with with uh, at a much higher level with you know, riparian restoration grassland restoration brush control a lot of the things where we those opportunities where we have shared uh, values or vision of how we're going to increase and, and, and profit from wildlife habitat and they can see the same profitability and sustainability and, and resiliency for their uh, ranching operations. So it's uh, it's really kind of trying to fill those those gaps. And, and honestly, you know, Chad, a big chunk of it I've realized now is something we've talked about for years out here. I remember us talking about this is providing value for our conservation partners as well. Right. That, that are doing that work because it's always it doesn't matter if it's Parks and Wildlife or NRCS, when you get in a meeting and you want to talk about, you know, working together to collaborate and cooperate on, on particular projects, there's not enough capacity to really facilitate that, right? I mean, it just, everybody's so busy. Right. So, so too many responsibilities, not enough time to get it done. So I really see stewardship services providing that, that capacity as well with our conservation partners and filling those gaps in so we can all work together and, and really ultimately that's what's so cool about a lot of this is you pull all those partners together and we get to try some stuff out you know we've got the research capacity here the monitoring capacity to, to see how certain practices might work we've got our conservation partners that are you know friends of ours that are willing to work with us and our landowner partners all that comes together to just really get some some more cutting edge work done out here and and see what really works and can provide the best uh, information to our cooperators. Yeah, I mean, I see it, Billy, as sort of a hub, right? And, you know, the, the landowners are busy as well, and, and there's so much, you know, different partners are doing different things, and it's just hard to keep track of it from a from a landowner's perspective to even a partner's perspective, and, and you kind of leading that hub, an essence of, of, of partners and, and uh, landowners and land managers, these land stewards, it just helps, you know, um, it helps the whole system, I think, and, and be able to put a better impact, right? I mean, we think about from Talt's perspective, Billy, I mean, we got, you know, we have one guy out in far west Texas with Clay Miller, and he can't be everywhere, right? And he's right. got his own operation, he's got his own other responsibilities and other things from there, and that it, it helps having sort of a hub where you can help 
with that communication and and connect uh, the right people uh, on both ends. And uh, so it's 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 great. You know, I think what you guys are doing and and um, perfect fit for you. I'm happy for you and happy for Lewis. And more importantly, I'm I'm just thrilled for all the the land stewards out there um, having those resources at their hands now. You bet. Appreciate that, Chad. I, I it's pretty hard. Back to your original question, why would I make the jump? It's pretty hard not to make that jump for me. Right, right. Especially yeah. about, as you well know, the country that I cherish immensely. Oh, yeah. You know? So, yeah. yep. No, that's it's great. You know, I think, you know, you kind of mentioned, Billy, about the Respect Big, Big Ben effort. Um, you know, why don't we dive into RBB a little bit and maybe talk about um, the Respect Big Ben efforts and the different perspectives at the table. Um, do you mind kind of sharing kind of an overview of Respect Big Bend? And yeah, it's it's dominated my career for the last <laughs> two and a half years, and it's hard to summarize quickly. But I can tell you, you know, uh, just kind of backing up a little bit. Really, this was born out of the, uh, the Cynthia George Mitchell Foundation's uh, Mary Mary Lou Hastings. Really, was the one that kind of had this vision, and uh, you know, looking at uh, and and really one of the catalysts was the Alpine High development around Balmeray, You know, with uh, Apache. Um, just you know. That's the first time that we had seen oil and gas development that that far into some of this some of this country that's a little more uh, pristine. We also have some, seen some opportunities with some solar farms going up in the region, and of course wind. You know, so it's not just it's not just oil and gas development; it's renewables as well. All of West Texas is prone to a lot of energy development in the future, and and. The idea is that energy development's not a bad thing, right? It's a good thing. It's good for landowners. It's good for the economic base. It can be. It can be a really good thing. And uh, but at the same time, it can also have a huge impact on communities. It can have a huge impact on 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 the on the land. And uh, we've got these immense branches out here, the largest landholders in the state, you know, out here. And the reason that we have such good wildlife population that those the, you know and and good habitats because of those stewards that have kept these working lands working for for you know over 100 years and have not broken them into the smaller pieces of property or been overdeveloped and you, you think about the species we have bighorn sheep pronghorn black bears they all need large unimpacted areas to to, to operate and so it was concerning she saw that she pulled together uh, the Mitchell Foundation helped fund and pull together quite a few experts in the field. And the idea was that we, 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 we think about development, energy development, not at a site by site way that it's always been done, but more at a landscape level. And um, you've actually pulled in the Nature Conservancy's uh, uh, Joe Kiesicker, you know, with the Nature Conservancy, you know Joe well, he's uh, all over the planet doing this work. It's called development by design. You basically pull together folks that know the area and you build a conservation vision spatially actually you know it's actual spatial exercise and then you look and see where development is supposed to occur you know you put on a map what you value you know how, what you don't want to see impacted too much and then you think about what you can live without i guess is a good way to say it but how much do you need of that really good stuff and then you look at energy development projections, put that on top, see where the conflicts are and go from there. You know, try to start thinking about mitigation. Well, how can we um, not have maybe uh, certain impacts? We develop more wisely, but at the same time, 
not discourage development if it's if it's if it could happen or, or move development in certain areas you know so that was the idea and the cool part about it is it's driven by locals we put together a stakeholder advisory group um that was uh basically we we kind of kept the focus in the three counties here uh, jeff davis brewster and presidio counties and that greater big bend region if you will and uh we pulled together some stakeholders uh 14 folks uh heavy on the rancher side you know the working lands but also community members community leaders um conservation partners and throughout the whole process we had industry folks at the table as well to, to kind of help guide us on what works and what doesn't and uh man just what a great process and i mean we figured out the other day we were on 14th meeting now and i don't think we've had one go less than two hours most of them have gone three or four so obviously a lot of time invested by these folks. I, I like to say, we, Lewis and I kind of handpicked them because we know these folks around here. We knew the ones that we wanted to have at the, at the table and they're all busy, right? They, they, they get asked to do a lot of this. They're county commissioners, they're right. sitting on you know school board. They're just asked to do a lot of stuff because that's the type of people they are and as busy as they were, and almost every one of them started off by saying, I'm really busy. Not a single one of them turned us down. They saw it, they felt it, they knew the energy could be, you know, development could be coming our direction. And so they saw it as a great opportunity and had built, uh, I think, a great product from it. So, yeah, I'm excited, you know, about this, Billy. I mean, I think the process, as you mentioned, that development by design, bringing all stakeholders together. And I think some of the things even, you know, out out on the Respect Big Ben, that was, I think, eye-opening to a lot of folks is, you know, a lot of values are aligned, no matter if, you know, you're, you know, a librarian in Alpine or, you know, Marfa to, you know, a rancher out, you know, in, in Jeff Davis County or vice versa. I mean, all the different stakeholders looking at this issue through different lenses are very much aligned through, you know, and, and I think it just helps build community um, alignment and, you know, direction for the, for, for the future. And, uh, you know, I look, you know, I, I hope to see this model uh, moved across the state. I think, you know, even beyond our state, you know, I think it, it will help um, make an impact in conservation and community uh, communities across, across the country. So, it's, it's pretty, yeah, it's a pretty neat, you know, and we, you talked about all the different many partners and, you know, TALT is one of those partners. And, you know, I think you articulated very well, Billy, the reason why TALT's there, right? I mean, TALT, I mean, we're, you know, we're a producer, you know, formed group around conservation. I mean, when we talk about, you know, uh, private property rights, the freedom to operate, things of that nature, um, you know, and keeping working lands working, you know, first most important piece is the economic side, right? If, yep. if we're not economical and we can't keep our business running from a, from a rancher perspective, you know, everything else goes to the wayside. And so, you know, the intersection, and you mentioned this intersection of, of energy and, and, and on our landscapes is, is, is a good thing. It's right. It's a good thing for the, the landowners. It's a good thing for the community, but it's, it's, it's how do we put it in correctly, right? In, in the right way that we can all meet all of these objectives. And um, 
And so that's the reason why TALP was there um, to be able to help and be support back to those landowners and, and outreach and you know be able to provide more tools um, in the toolbox for these landowners to empower them. So now, and I, I want to just say, I can't, you know, I'm so appreciative of TALP being a partner in this effort. I think it's been so advantageous to us. I, I, I will just, you know, throw a feather in your cap as well. You know, I, I do, I, I think the timing of you coming on board as a CEO, I mean, Blair was a great partner with us through this from, from the very beginning. And uh, the idea that we really need to, to, to work however we can to, to keep these working lands working in, in, in West Texas. And, and then you coming on board with your ecosystem services background and the opportunities that you're looking at there. I think it's it's been great. You know, I'll, I'll just quickly, I'm not gonna go, so I, I wanna back up and say, you know, we went through this process and we recognized all these values and to your point exactly, they are shared values. It was so cool right, to watch, you know, two people in a room I and mean, I know, and I, we said from the get go, we're, we're not, this is not legislative. There's no legislative or policy behind this. This is simply collaboration and cooperation at its best. And I said, you know, we have strong liberals and strong conservatives in this room and we're not going to bring politics into it. It's just going to be, you know, we're going to, we're going to see what we can do within the current regulatory framework we have at any given time to work together to make the best decisions. And it was amazing to watch that happen through time and the fact that they all do share the same values and you know why we like living here you know and it's 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 not just you know wildlife based it's not just i've been through you have too through a lot of conservation planning and it's usually you know re resource managers wildlife biologists range conservationists whoever may be in a room looking at what's most important on the landscape you might have landowners involved at some point but you never have community members involved but we right. did this time and that was you know uh view sheds things that are important for 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 um uh, you know, for tourism and just for why we like these dark skies and everything else that makes this a great place to be. And at the end of the day, you know, while we didn't prioritize any values, we recognized, they recognized right off the bat pretty quickly that, you know, ranching heritage was kind of an overarching one. You know, these large intact landscapes are based upon large working lands and we need to incentivize keeping those, that, those large working lands intact and, and working for producers. Um, along with, we made it very clear, ranching heritage and private property rights, because we, you know, this is a very independent group out here, you know them well, and right. they don't, they, we didn't want to make this appear to be something that it's not. And it's not working to do anything, there's nothing behind it that's gonna say what somebody can and can't do on their property. We just want them to have the voice and the ability and to have the economics to continue working and really dude you know as well as i do that this terrible drought i hope we're coming out of it now we're finally getting some rain but two years of hardly any rain really began to solidify the needs you know the concerns that producers have when you don't have any income for two years and you're you know, i mean there's not a whole lot of cows left out here now because everybody had to sell and uh it's hard make a living you know when that happens you throw everything else on top of them it's tough and so uh, it, the timing was right and and I, I think it's it was so refreshing to watch community members understand that as well that that's so important anyway pretty cool stuff yeah it is cool stuff you know and i i think you know and i sit there and put my you know cowboy hat on and understand from the you know that 
you know, you go through these situations of drought and you're just trying to make ends meet. And, you know, it's, it's encouraging to know you got champions, you know, in the community that are there for you. They're back and you want to be successful and not, you know, just one other thing against you. And um, I think seeing those light bulbs and those, those alignment was very, you know, had a, had a great impact on, on everyone, right. To, to, to see that those shared values. Um, I agree. You know, I think, you know, Billy, I think, you know, a question is, um, you know, how are, you know, in this process, how are landowners and other stakeholders being involved and, and, you know, how does that look like, you know, what are their, their involvement? We understand kind of are the partners, I would say partners from, you know, BRI and TALT and, and others, but how are these community folks, stakeholders and uh, landowners being involved in this? Well, like, you know, like I said, there's, you know, the, the stakeholder advisory group, of course, was made up of, and, and really they're the kind of the drivers. One of their charges was to, was to go out and visit with their friends and neighbors and and make sure that they're speaking as best they can for, for the majority of folks out here, you know, and the, but BRI also, you know, our, our, our responsibilities, I'm going to back up a little bit. Our responsibilities in, in this process was, you know, twofold. One of it is obviously the science aspect of it, the data, you know, because we have, uh, BRI has such a, a robust amount of, uh, of data associated with wildlife habitats, wildlife movements, um, spatial data, you know, that allows us to see what's going on in the landscape from different wildlife species standpoints. And then, uh, so, so bringing data to the table, bringing science to the table, local, you know, science for West Texas, and then also the stakeholder engagement, which was really fell on, on, on my shoulders. And beyond the stakeholder advisory group, we also reached out to community organizations, conservation organizations, landowner organizations, uh, individual ranchers, uh, as, as many folks as we could possibly talk to throughout the process to make sure that they understand what's going on, what this is and what it isn't, you know. And uh, obviously there was apprehension from some because it's so different. It's pretty weird, you know, people haven't done stuff like this before. But I think ultimately it's been shown that the people understand it, support it, and have been very, actually very supportive. And I think one of the smartest things we did was put the right people on the stakeholder advisor group who, who certainly have drank the Kool-Aid now. And they're like, this is good stuff. You know, there's nothing, there's nothing bad here. This could only reap, you know, good benefits. And They've been our champions in the communities and the ranching community and the, uh, the conservation community. And once again, just working to build that tree. You can't hardly go through a process like this with folks in the room. I think one of our stakeholder advisory group, Greg, Greg Carter said it best. He said, you know, we're, we're having conversations. I'm, I'm, he says, these are people that you see out here, you might know them, but we don't sit down and talk. We come from two different backgrounds. Right. And now we're, we're, we're forced to sit down and visit and have this conversation and it's he said that's the, one of the most important things we could possibly do you know just have a conversation and they have been uh, i mean i can't i can't speak highly enough of our of our stakeholder advisory group members they have been so supportive and and really have you know put everyone's minds at ease about this you know the bottom line is if there's something that this was about that was uh, uh, dubious, you know, something that, or devious, excuse me, that was um, not on the up and up. Well, they'd be the first ones to know about it, right? And so they're right. It's, and it's not, it's not what it's about. It's it's good stuff. So 
yeah, that, and from, I guess backing up your original question, they've been heavily involved uh, on, the, on the stakeholder advisory group, but also we've kept tried to keep people informed as we move through this process outside that group as well. And it's really come down to, I think our stakeholder advisory group members have been some of our best champions, ambassadors. Yeah, uh, I think that's, that's key, you know, I think Craig's comments are, are pretty amazing too, right? I mean, it's because yeah. you're building more advocates for yourself on both ends, right? And and having a better understanding from you know two different two different perspectives or two different you know realms, and uh, it's 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 been really you know uh, there's been a lot of really good come out of RBB, and um, you know I think. You know, the report came out a couple months ago, Billy, and you know, what were some of those key findings, you know, beyond just some of this communication? Well, you know, they, the, the, the stakeholder advisory group basically came up with four recommendations. And one of them, uh, a couple of really, you know, paramount ones is, is you know, this, this tool. We built this conservation uh, the decision support tool, if you will. It's spatially based. It's uh, it takes in all of these values. Any any value you find a corresponding data set uh, that corresponds to a value, and that may be pronghorn habitat, grasslands, sky islands, dark skies, viewsheds. They did a viewshed analysis. Uh, our, our our nerd herd, our, our science members that are part of, part of the support team, all these other partners that are part of Respect Big Ben, such as yourself and. You know, TALT and, and, and TNC and, and uh, the uh, Bureau of Economic Geology, just these different partners that have helped, you know, build the data set. So they've got this, this tool that can help industry and landowners make decisions about where to develop, what areas are, have a higher value across the Trans-Pecos to, to, to everyone. And how do we minimize impacts to those areas, right? And so that's it also has the uh, the projections and one of the projections we found out was that there's not going to probably be in the tri-county area a significant amount of oil and gas development in the next 30 years i mean i didn't realize there's been over a thousand wells drilled in these three counties over the last hundred years so there's a lot of data there and it's the technology is not at a point now where it's economically feasible to be pulling that product out of the ground so probably not a lot of oil and gas development here but there is areas of the other parts of the trans-pecos that will see development that have a lot of a lot of value uh, there is a lot of opportunity, especially for solar development. Um, we're just prone for, we're, we're prime for that. Um, I, you know, we, we, we went through this process and, and uh, the, the one that I would, here's, a, I want to say the second most important thing, and maybe the most important is they recommended that we provide a, a stand up a center. And so it's a, it's a center for uh, uh, land stewardship and community engagement. And it basically housed at BRI as the local convener as we went through this process, probably keep our SAG together, our stakeholder advisory group together, let them be kind of their, our, our sounding board, our advisors for, for, for setting the center up. And then you, the centers will be there for community members, for landowners to provide information and conservation partners as well. It kind of dovetails into a lot of what stewardship services is about with kind of uh, some of a community aspect as well associated with it. And it's supported to, by uh, our president here at Sol Ross. It's uh, sounds, it seems like we're about to start rolling it out. It won't be an actual physical center, but it will be something where we're able to buy, uh, add capacity to 
provide uh, services to, to folks as they have questions about energy development and uh, conservation. So really helping solidify a lot of what we've already talked about and providing being that resource, right? And then uh, two other recommendations I came up with were exceptional as well. Uh, one of those is to continue to support this um, voluntary conservation uh, opportunities whenever they exist, you know, whether that's through TALT and conservation easements, whether that's, uh, you know, some of us, we got so much uh, uh, opportunities, so many opportunities out here right now with uh, grassland restoration, brush control, they're all, you know, voluntary incentive-based conservation. You know it works better than anybody. And, and over my career, it's been the one thing that works. It's it, heavy-handed government regulation doesn't work. Right. But working with partners, conservation partners, to help those landowners see economic opportunity and continue keeping those working lands working is vital. It's paramount. And just that the, for the stakeholder advisory group to come out and say, this is important and we need to keep doing this, right? Working with, with our landowner partners to further their conservation goals, put them on a higher economic uh, platform, more resiliency to the land. Um, that it's it's gonna be what's really uh, achieves the the um, the goals that we have for keeping these these large intact landscapes intact. And the last one is basically to recommend that whenever possible, when there is energy development, that there's restoration takes place afterwards. And we put the land back as good or better than we found it. So those are your four recommendations are part of the report. Um, I encourage people to go take a look at that. I think they would uh, really like to see that. And I imagine you could provide uh, a link for them or I can get it to you, whatever yeah. you want to do. Yeah, we'll definitely information. There's two reports. Remember, there's there's one big one. Right. That basically, the SAG, you know, the SAG's mentioned in there, but that's a lot of the conservation partners or the uh, respective bid partners, like BRI and others. What we learned through the process and all the technical stuff that went into this 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 spatial analysis. The other one's shorter, and it's it's by this, this the stakeholder advisory group themselves, and uh, kind of gets to the meat of it. So yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. That that second one is, I think, is that is a good overview and kind of narrows down, um, doesn't get too far in the weeds, and it's you know really well done by the the SAG group. Um, so you know, really, I guess that, I mean, and I think you kind of alluded to this a little bit, Billy. Is you know, what's the next steps for this effort, and um, you know, the I would say the continued involvement of these stakeholders. Well, like I say, that the stakeholder advisory group, we hope to keep them on board. Uh, probably not as much of a time commitment as they've given us so far. We've asked a lot of them. Uh, and so probably not that type of involvement, but it's for sure providing some guidance to the center as we get it up and rolling. Um, and then, you know, our other stakeholders across the Trans-Pecos, we, we, you know, you and I both are working with our, our, our partners of the Mitchell Foundation and others to kind of see where we're moving next and how it's going to work. But you know, from from our perspective, we kind of see uh, the center being the hub for future for future work out here. And we 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 there are areas like I mentioned a while ago that we 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 knew it already, and it really came to light that we've got some you know some really pristine large working uh, ranches and areas of the Trans Pecos where there it's it's happening now, and it's going to continue to happen and more and more development. So working with those stakeholders to see how we can minimize the impact and um, if there's going to be negative impacts, let's, let's work towards how we can minimize those and still see some economic opportunity. But uh, 
so moving outside basically these three counties to other areas of the Trans-Pecos, but also, you know, uh, taking a role as kind of, you know, moving outside the Trans-Pecos. And, and, and like you mentioned a while ago, we're, we're talking about other opportunities in the state to find those right conservation partners, those right landowner partners and community members. And we're not going to just, you know, we, this is kind of our backyard, but BRI can help train the trainer, if you will, yep. show them, you know, how, how we were fortunate enough to, to, to work through this process and it worked well. And, you know, standing up your own stakeholder advisory group, if you will, for another part of the state and, and going through the process and engaging industry. And that's a, a paramount, I should mention that. I mean, it's paramount to have industry support and we've had good energy, industry support so far. I mean, obviously they're, this was, there, was, there was some apprehension there too, you know, but they've been great. And uh, uh, I think that that needs to continue and expand. Yeah, I think well stated, I, I, I'm excited, you know, and I think you guys can definitely share that model and help facilitate and, uh, this effort across, you know, other other little hubs across, uh, across the state. And we should see multiple of them. And um, I'm excited again of, you guys work and the impact you're already making in a short, a short time. You know, I, I'm, I'm excited to see what five, 10, 20 years from now and what's going on in uh, Trans-Pecos. You know, as we wrap, wrap up, Billy, I mean, you know, I, I, I really want to hear what's on the horizon for BRI, you know, besides the Respect Big Bend, you know, what are some of the other research projects, um, that BRI is working on or soon to be working on? You know, it's, and it's, it's, it continues, you know, the, 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 the idea behind, you know, applied management, finding, finding that's that, that getting that good science to make the best decisions you can is, is continues. And we still, I mean, still working on pronghorn, you know, that's a, that's been a, uh, a, but decade and a half now we've been doing a lot of pronghorn research and there's still things we need to know, understand but you know that will continue um just trying to because you know here two more years we just came out of two years of drought and we're seeing the impacts of it again you know and it's just how can we how can we have those species out there in the landscape and make the landscape more resilient for them to be able to survive and reproduce in these times where we just don't see enough enough moisture especially a species like that that you know so moisture dependent um Standing up, you know, this 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 uh, bighorn audad mule deer research that's going on now, that continues to expand. You know, uh, we've, that's, we've got a, a lot of, uh, I think you know it as well, um, our audad populations in the, uh, the Trans-Pecos have exploded. We've got a lot of audad on the landscape. They're having impacts. We know they're having impacts uh, on a lot of different levels. You know, when you get these large, large herds of, of audad, they uh, impact mule deer habitat. They also, you know, since they're so uh, opportunistic and can switch back and forth between browse and, and grass, they end up having an impact on, on cattle forage too, on grass. So, um, but that said, like these last two years, that may have been the only economic opportunity that landowners had because their wildlife populations or native wildlife populations were not doing the best, didn't have a lot of reproduction for mule deer or pronghorn. And, Obviously, your cattle operation may not be in the best situation because of drought, but those all day keep plugging along. So I'm really excited about that work because it none, it, it's going to feed into some of the stuff I'd like to be able to provide landowners. That's something that they come to us and ask. Right. You know, right. can we have a small, keep a small all day population and have some opportunities for, for hunter harvest and, and not impact greatly our 
cattle or uh, deer. So that's important. You know, I, I'm looking forward to some more results from that research. Grassland birds, that's really blown up. And as you well know, all across the Great Plains and in, in the, these, these uh, issues with um, uh, de declining grassland bird populations. This is where so many of them winter down in our grasslands here. Been some huge land use changes across the river in Mexico that have impacted that those grasslands. Uh, and they of course have impacts all the way up and down from you know from Canada to, to, to Chihuahua. It's just there's some impacts there and just continuing to uh, find out what they need. And it's it's cool because that once again works with our landowner partners, you know, that are stewarding those 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 resources to to build more grassland and 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 build it so that it benefits not only a producer from a cattle standpoint, but also grassland birds. Um, probably gonna start doing a little more bear work uh, moving forward too, just because uh, we continue to see our bear populations increase in the transpagus, which is a good thing, but they also come with their own <laughs> set of problems, you know, and uh, uh, trying, to, trying to figure out how they utilize corridors and move across the landscape, et cetera. So anyway, just more and more of the same that we've been doing, but trying to find those areas where the big questions are, right? Where the you know, Montezuma quail is another one. We continue to work in that realm. So anyway, a lot of good you know, stuff. I think, yeah, I mean, you got a lot, of, a lot of good stuff coming. And I think the key to it all, Billy, is that it's based around a usable science model, right? Yes, sir. And I'm a big, big component about usable science. Um, I've written kind of multiple... Um, papers on that, right? So usable science is usable science in that the end user is part of the process from day one, right? And it's a different model than we think about traditional science of, you know, we, we have good ideas and we we study those ideas and, you know, you know, it's three to five years of data and then, you know, we can't share anything, right? Because, you know, we have to be, we're, we're scientists, we have to publish our paper, you know, and that may take a year or two and then we can share it. Well, if we think of it from a landowner and a land steward and, and, um, and, and we think about wildlife and all of the things that we're trying to work on, they don't know, right? They don't know about even tomorrow. And so by the time that information gets out, it's, it's a little bit too late. And I think I appreciate BRI and, and y'all's efforts in that you are taking that usable science of bringing in those landowners, bringing in you know, partners and those those end users um, from day one, and they're part of that whole process of of pulling that that data and the science together to make informed science decisions. And um, I, I think that's that's what's going to be successful, and that's what's going to help you know really um, empower everyone out there. And, and appreciate again, Billy, you joining us, and appreciate Dr. Harvison and his vision and you guys uh, making it happen. Thank you so much, Chad. My my pleasure. I really appreciate this. It's always great to visit with you, and this was uh, no exception. Yeah, uh, thanks again, and I appreciate our friendship, and and uh, excited to, uh, for us to get to work, you know, closer together as we used to back in the day, um, yep. for sure. I agree. Uh, yeah, so, you know, thanks again, Billy, and I just want to remind our listeners um, to really rate and review our podcast to really help spread the word about working lands conservation. And uh, please join us again for our next episode where we're going to have uh, Terry Anderson with Conservation Equity Partners and Greg Simons with Wildlife Systems. And we're going to sit 
and talk about some other economic opportunities that can come to uh, landowners and, and managing uh, our working lands and conservation. So till, till next time, have a blessed one. Beyond the Fence Line is brought to you by the Texas Agricultural Land Trust, dedicated to conserving the Texas heritage of agricultural lands, wildlife habitats, and natural resources. Find out more at txaglandtrust.org.